On this season, we're not going to be doing long intros anymore. Hopefully at this point you know what this project is about and all of the disclaimers therein. Regardless, you can check out the trailer for Season 3 if you want to hear more rationale for what this season is about. On today's episode, we have Dr. Curtis joining us. He has a BS in physics, worked as a physicist for a few years, also has a master's degree and a PhD. He's taught for 40 years at Biola University in Old Testament. And today we're talking about Song of Solomon, which he has written a commentary on. So he has so much to say on this topic, and I learned so much from our conversation, so I'm excited for you guys to hear from him. Hey guys, uh, I'm sitting here with Dr. Curtis today, and we are talking about the Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, depending on how you uh, read it. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about what this book is, how to read it, what are the takeaways, and then asking some of the burning questions um, about the book. Um, But before we get into that, Dr. Curtis, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Um, a little bit of a brief biography of Dr. Curtis? Okay, I grew up in Texas in a small town about 30 miles east of Dallas. It's a farming community, um, was an athlete in high school, and and uh, then ended up going to Baylor University on a track scholarship. Sweet. Uh, was a high jumper there. It was back in the old days before the Fosbury flop. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> I majored in physics at Baylor and then worked for about seven or eight years as an engineer or a physicist after I graduated, and then went back to first seminary, spent Mm -hmm. a year at Southwestern Seminary, then uh, went to Trinity, got a master's degree in Old Testament, and then went to the University of Pennsylvania and got a PhD in Hebrew Mm. and biblical studies there. inserted into all of that i met my wife on a missions trip to mexico (laughs) and central america Hmm. she was from the philadelphia area and so um we got married and we have two boys one on staff of a church in california the other one is working as a molecular biologist in a a lab in prague in the czech republic so uh, I've been teaching at Biola and Talbot since 1978, and that's pretty much <laughs> who I am. Yeah. Can you still jump like you used to in the track no, days? I, I think I, not, well, I think I paid a price for my high jumping. <laughs> uh, the way you jumped in those days to clear the bar, you uh-huh. would often land on your back. Oh. And I was a good high jumper. My best jump was six, eight, and three quarters. Oh, my gosh. And you fall that far and land on your back, and it doesn't do it any good. So I've got a ton of back problems. (laughs) Uh, Just walking is a task these days. And I think probably many of those go back to Mm -hmm. the price I paid for being a good high jumper. Yeah. (laughs) But... I can barely leave my feet these days. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Um, so we're talking about the book of the Song of, Song of Songs today, Song of Solomon. Um, and I probably would guess that most Christians, at least my age, have probably almost never read this book or read it in passing. 
And so a lot of them don't even know what it is um, or what it's about, or maybe you've just roughly heard of it. So what is the book of the Song of Songs? Well, it is a book of poetry. Mm -hmm. The whole book is poetic with maybe a verse or two that's somewhat narrative, but it's a book of poetry. On the face of it, it appears to be love poetry. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with a man and a woman Mm -hmm. and their interaction. And so it works like any other book of, of love poetry. Um, poetry is designed to affect us rather than to inform us, hmm. though it hmm. can do both. Hmm. And so uh, people have struggled for centuries about what to do with a book. Yeah, It is... In certain parts of the book, it is pretty explicit in terms of explaining or describing a sexual encounter between mm -hmm. the man and the woman. Mm -hmm. And so for many centuries, people were uncomfortable with the idea <laughs> yeah. of having a book like yeah. that in the, the Bible. And so what they have tended to do is to allegorize the book and say, well, it's not really human love that's being yeah, celebrated, yeah, yeah. but it's the love of God for the, his people or mm -hmm. the love of Christ the, for the church. Mm -hmm. And so it has to do with those relationships. And so for many centuries, if you wanted to get excommunicated from the church, the easiest <laughs> way to do it was to claim that the book describes human love. Wow. Today, that's probably the dominant view that yeah. that's what it describes but yeah. on the face of it if you were to take the book mm -hmm. give it to anybody on the street yeah ask them to read it and tell you what is this they would say it's a book of uh, love poetry that's yeah. what it purports to be yeah i've heard a lot of just researching this this book and even reading it just a lot of people still there's that lingering of talking about it just being an allegory or like a metaphor Yes. Um, but the more and more I read into it and the more and more I read commentaries, it's like, well, there, there might be hints of that or that might be a part of it. But this is ultimately love poetry. Like that's what it is in its essence. Yeah. And, and for many, the question came down to the idea that human love, love between a man and a woman mm -hmm. and a love that encompasses the the sexual, the physical mm -hmm, part of the mm -hmm, relationship. Mm -hmm. I would argue it is not a book about sex. It's a book about relationship. Hmm. But the marriage relationship has the physical dimension yeah. in it as well. But there were many people who argued that was just not a topic that was worthy of inclusion mm -hmm. in sacred scripture. Yeah. Today, there are a few who, who would argue that. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. It's a book about relationships, but it's showing you wisdom on relationships through the sexual relationship, um, which I think is a super helpful way of looking at it, where it also you know, takes into contrast both the things. It's a relationship in general, but also here's the sexual side, and here's yes. how you can be healthy <clears throat> within both in some ways. Yes, yes. And while, well... Normally, what you do when you study a book in the Bible, mm -hmm. I, I would 
would tell students or anybody in my church, if you want to understand this book, a book, whatever the book happened to be, you need to read it. If it's a short book like Philippians or Colossians, Uh you read Uh the whole book. You read it through multiple times, five, ten times. Mm -hmm. And as you read through it, you get a good sense of what the author is doing, what the flow of the material is, the flow of the argument, the narrative, whatever. With Song of Songs, that's very difficult to do. Hmm. And so you, you think there is probably a story in here somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. But you try to piece it together Mm -hmm. and and there's not enough information there Mm -hmm. to allow you to do it. Uh, it, It's like having a, 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 say, 15 or 20 snapshots. Yeah. And you have them arranged in a certain order, a a correct order, Mm -hmm. whatever your correct order Mm -hmm. happens to be. Mm Mm-hmm. And then something happens, and all those photographs just go flying everywhere. Yeah. And you collect them together again, and then somebody who doesn't know the story is given the task of putting them together in Mm. the right sequence, in the Mm. right order. And if you if you did something like that you you understand the backstory mm-hmm. to a biblical book then when you're exegeting passages mm-hmm. you come to an impasse and you say well it could be this or it could be that mm-hmm. but then you use the the narrative that lies behind it and the answer you, whether whether it's it's choice a or choice b that will usually be determined by that those assumptions about the Mm -hmm. backstory yeah and with song of songs it's very hard to do that there are people who argue that it is an anthology of poems Hmm. there's no connection except that they're all love poems got it but but there's no story yeah other people who argue there is a story and there are certain things that that suggests that there are certain things that are repeated several mm-hmm. times during the book. Mm-hmm. The term that the man uses for the woman mm-hmm. is fairly consistent throughout the whole book. Mm-hmm. The term that the woman uses for the man is is a different term, but still she uses it regularly t- mm-hmm. when she's talking to the man. Hmm. So it seems like there is it's it's a there's a coherence about it. Yeah. But then you try to put together a story and and you you can't yeah. with any real confidence say this is the narrative. Some people yeah. say there are two people, a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Some say one well, of the man is Solomon, the woman is mm-hmm. Solomon's wife. Mhm. That's a problem because Solomon can't really be a good role model for a relationship <laughs> between true. a man and a woman. Yep. Some say there are two characters. These are ideal hmm. people hmm. rather than actual people. Yeah. Are they actual people, but they're unknown mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. So others say, no, there are three major characters. And the story is basically Solomon was on a trip up to the north of the country. Mm-hmm. He saw this beautiful young woman working in a vineyard. Mm-hmm. He was so 
attracted to her. He he took her from mm-hmm. where she lived, brought her to Jerusalem with the intention of wooing her and marrying mm-hmm. her. And she was in love with a shepherd from her hometown. Mm-hmm. And finally, after lots of struggles, she was allowed to go back and marry the boy she really loved. Wow. Well, those are nice, interesting stories, yeah. <laughs> but the problem is they're just, there's so little data on which to build a story mm-hmm. that the, those end up being fairly speculative. Yeah. And so we're left knowing it's a book of poetry mm-hmm. and it's love poetry. Mm-hmm. And then we have to figure out what to do with it from there. Yeah. So you have this book of poetry and it's love poetry. So it's poetry that talks about romantic love, even sexual love. And you have all these different snapshots of that Mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. They seem kind of connected, but they're not in a linear story type format. That's that's exactly right. Um, So with all that in mind, how do we study it? Like how can you, if someone was going to go read the Song of Songs after this podcast, how would they study it? Well, I'm going to suggest to you a a context that to me makes more sense Mm -hmm. than anything that I know of. And it it won't involve really a story. Hmm. But let let me, before I go there, let me note one of the problems that some people have with the book. If you if you isolate the book mm-hmm. and you look at Song of Songs and nothing else in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, one thing that stands out, there are two things that stand out. One is there's no reference to God in the book. Mm-hmm. There may be one veiled reference, but essentially mm-hmm. no, no mention of God in the yep. book. And the second thing is there really is no mention of morality. Mm-hmm. So it, it tells us nothing about morality or immorality. It's just a book about a relationship between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And it involves passion and romance. And at one point, at least, sexual a sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. Because the only place we have the book is in the context of the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. I would argue that we should look at it in the the broader context of the Old Testament. Yeah. And then the broader context of Scripture. Yeah. So I would assume, and I think it's a legitimate assumption, that the, the general morality that you see throughout the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. No fornication, no Mm -hmm. adultery, no Mm -hmm. um, all all those things Mm -hmm. that that we're familiar with from Old Testament Mm -hmm. sexual morality. Mm -hmm. Those are simply assumed. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to take that a little bit farther and, and go back to the very beginning in Genesis. After Adam is created... God says about Adam, it is not good for the man to be alone. Mm-hmm. He needs, uh, the Hebrew is ezer konegdo. It's a helper, but a certain kind of helper. 
and I, I would argue appropriate help or suitable helper is pretty close to what the term mm -hmm. means. So if we think about that and, and what it, it implies, it, it suggests at least that Adam had Adam had needs that could only be met by some sort of relationship. Hmm. And so they first looked for an Ezer Konegdo among the animals. They mm -hmm. couldn't find one. Mm -hmm. the, the text says that specifically. There was not mm -hmm. found for Adam among the animals a suitable helper. Mm -hmm. So God made one. Mm -hmm. So what he made was another human being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And that human being happened to be the female counterpart to the man. Mm -hmm. So they, they come together and he says, for this reason, a man shall leave father and mother, join with his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And that no doubt is part of the be fruitful and multiply hmm. that we see in that same general context. Mm -hmm. So the one flesh relationship. It, it clearly has something to do with the, the physical part of the relationship is mm -hmm. some of what's described there. Mm -hmm. But it's also a relationship in which the woman is described as a helper. Mm -hmm. So we need to, to figure out what helper yeah. means yeah. there. Well, when you look at the word helper, it's used often of God. Hmm. So God is our helper, for example. God is David's helper. And so it becomes clear that helper is not a, a an inferior level mm -hmm. creature. Yeah. But the focus of it is that this is, is someone who brings strength to another person's point of weakness. Hmm. So it it seems to pretty clearly indicate that that the people God created, human beings, mm -hmm. they are designed for relationships. Mm -hmm. And in those relationships, and of course here the focus is the marriage relationship, mm -hmm. the reality is that, that they complement each other. Mm -hmm. And so both of them have strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And both of them bring strengths to the other person's point of weakness. Yeah. So as I see what's fundamental to to one flesh relationship, it, it's that kind of, of mutuality hmm. and complementary relationship. Yeah. Well, then we come to the fall. And... The man, the woman disobeyed God. They rebelled against God. And so mm -hmm. the, the fall, the consequences, the judgment, it, it created dysfunction and disharmony everywhere we look. And certainly that affected the relationship between the man and the woman. Yeah, yeah. So you have two people functioning together, mm -hmm. and they're supposed to complement each other. Mm-hmm. But in order for that to work, there has to be humility. There has to be an openness to the other's input. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the things that the fall seems to have done is it distorted that. And so the man's headship in the relationship mm-hmm. turns into something that's dictatorial and oppressive and sometimes violent mm-hmm. and abusive. Mm-hmm. And so the the whole relationship is distorted as a result of the fall. Yeah. Well, I would expect that somewhere, if, if that relationship is as important as it seems to be from the early chapters of Genesis, somewhere we would have something that, that helps us to understand what a one flesh relationship looks like mm-hmm. when it's actually fleshed out. And, and I suspect that's what Song of Songs is. Hmm. Now, it's a wisdom book, so it functions like wisdom. Wisdom, the way people normally learn, is by observing. Mm-hmm. So you, you look at the world around you. You look at a book like Proverbs. You've got hundreds of little principles. Soft answer turns away wrath. Hmm. Uh, fool's vexation is known on the very day. Mm-hmm. Well, where do those come from? Mm-hmm. Well, they come from people who are sharp, they've got insight, keen observation, and they see these things, they see what happens when you have a bad temper, the problems that it generates. Mm-hmm. And so you, you learn by observing. There's a, a little section in Proverbs 24. A wise man's walking down the road. He sees the fool's uh, garden. Mm-hmm. It's the it's overgrown with weeds. The walls falling down. There's no useful production coming out of it. And so he looks. He reflects on what he's seen, and he walks away instructed. Hmm. And so he walks away recognizing the connection between laziness mm-hmm. and no crop, mm-hmm. no food to eat. Mm-hmm. And he walks away determined to avoid that kind of behavior in his life. Mm. So Song of Songs is a book, I think, that shows us a relationship actually functioning. Yeah. A couple of interesting things about it. It doesn't tell us anything about the beginning of the relationship. Mm-hmm doesn't tell us anything about the end of the relationship. Mm-hmm. We, we come into it at the very beginning. It's just a relationship yeah. between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And we watch them. We, we see what they do. We, we get to listen to their conversations. And we learn by doing that. Hmm. Now, it's poetry. So the learning is not like, well, here's a list of 10 things. I want you to memorize them for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we see them interacting and we see what they do. We see what they say. And then we learn from that. And then, of course, the final step is we, we not only are affected by it, our feelings, our emotions, but we also think, Okay, what does that have to do with my relationships? Yeah, yeah. And 
I would argue that the basic principles we see are, are not just principles that are confined to, to marriage. That in a friendship, for example, mm. many of these same principles work. Wow. So, so that's, that's how I think it, it works. Yeah. So you have the Song of Songs is, is placed within the context of the whole Testament, which is, okay, we're zooming in on this marital, just even this relationship, this romantic mm-hmm. relationship between a man and woman. Mm-hmm. That is within the confines of the Genesis 1 and 2 kind of ideal. And so what it's showing us is it's showing us a model that we can just observe and watch that should then affect how we're living. It's kind of like if we're, say you're a younger married couple and you go out to dinner with an older married couple, mm-hmm. um, you're picking up in that dinner in the middle of their marriage. You're not seeing how their relationship started. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing how it ended. But just by being around them and watching them and watching the ideal and the more experienced couple, you're seeing, okay, here's maybe how I can relate better. Here's some of the principles even, but it's not anything to memorize. There's not anything like directly maybe to yes. in, impose, but there's kind of this modeling that's happening. So, and that can... That's not just with sex or romantic. Mm-hmm. That can also mm-hmm. transcend to friendship. You can take yeah. the same things and move it. Yeah, it would be strange indeed if that older couple invited you into their bedroom. It <laughs> probably would not happen. But, but there's still... That's fornication the, right there. <laughs> there are all kinds of things that you learn yeah. from just observing. Yeah. And, and so you asked you, earlier, you mentioned the takeaways. I, mm-hmm. I think we, mm-hmm. we can note some takeaways and, and they will be, they won't be how to, how to have sex or how to have better sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Won't be any of that. Although you see something of the delight, hmm. some uh, incredible descriptions that, that communicate that. Mm-hmm. But, but it's wisdom, and, and I want to suggest one thing at the, before I really note the, some of the specific takeaways, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. is every time I, I would teach Song of Songs, mm-hmm. whether I taught it at Biola or whether I taught it in a Sunday school class or wherever, mm-hmm. especially if it was young people, and especially if a lot of them were still single, mm-hmm. What they want me to do is to give them a list of what yeah. I should look for in a spouse. Mm. And I, I told them, if we're doing Proverbs, for example, they, mm-hmm. they want to know, well, where are the verses that, that give us a, a marriage manual mm. that will help me pick the right person? You look at Proverbs in some detail, and you don't discover very many things that specifically have to do with marriage. Mm -hmm. In the beginning chapters, there are some things, Mm -hmm. and they primarily have to do with sexual morality, Mm. but not a lot that, that gives you specifics about what to do. But I tell my students, if you're putting together a list of what to look for, the thing you should put at the top of the list, now probably the thing really at the top of the list is fear of the Lord, mm-hmm. loving the Lord with your whole being. Mm-hmm. But we'll take that as the, the meta-narrative overall yeah. of yeah. it. But the thing I would tell them to put at the top of their list is you you need to look for a person who is wise, hmm. a person who is on the path to wisdom. Hmm. 
if you marry a fool, you probably will not have a, a wonderful marriage experience. Yeah. yeah. And so you look for a person who's committed to wisdom. Now, why is that important? Well, let's take just one thing. Uh, a person who can't control their temper. That, that bad temper is going to create all kinds of problems yeah. in yeah. a marriage. Or a person who's not open to instruction. Hmm. There's no way the two of you can function together in a complementary way when one or the other, or worse yet, both have problems with those areas. Hmm. So you look at the things that constitute wisdom, uh, control of your emotions, mm -hmm. being careful and deliberate. Mm -hmm. um, the, those are really important. So. Song of Songs doesn't say much about any of those, but, but, but I think those are presupposed as the foundation for all of this. Mm -hmm. But one reason why starting in the middle is, is probably significant. For, for this book to, to work as God's revelation, it needs to be relevant for pretty much everybody. Yeah. It, it can't be culture-specific. Hmm. Well, think about marriage and how one chooses a mate. Mm -hmm. Well, if you had lived in Israel during the time of Solomon or mm -hmm. any time before, any time after, <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't have had to worry about choosing a mate. Mm -hmm. Your parents would have done it for you. Yeah. So most marriages in most cultures for most of history— mm -hmm. Has mm -hmm. they've been arranged marriages? Yep. Now I like the way we do it better, <laughs> but but by starting uh -huh. in a relationship that already exists, it it eliminates huge variables like that mm -hmm. that are are simply cultural variables. One of the things that you see this couple doing is they praise one another. Mm. They, 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 they clearly love one another, but they clearly have respect and they value the other. Mm. And, and that causes them to inconvenience themselves sometimes mm -hmm. and even do things that put themselves at risk because they value this other person and this relationship. Mm. So... It, it's things like that that you see in their communication. Mm -hmm. But th think about the difference between a relationship where you praise the other person. Mm -hmm. you, you, you look for the things that they do. There, there's a proverb that says, who, who finds a wife finds a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's a gift from the Lord. Mm -hmm. I, I rarely do weddings, but once in a while I'll do one. Mm -hmm. And what I tell the groom is, you are marrying this woman today, and mm -hmm. she is a good thing. Mm -hmm. That question is being answered even as we go through this ceremony. Mm. Your task for the rest of your life is not to try to figure out whether or not she is a good thing. 
but to figure out how she is a good thing. Mm, that's good. And to come to appreciate the multiple ways in which she is good for yeah. you and for the relationship. Yeah. Well, think about the difference between that. I was in a, in a church once and uh, somebody got up there doing a 12-step mm-hmm. recovery emphasis mm-hmm. or some such thing. And a woman gave her testimony. She said she went on her honeymoon. And when she got back from her honeymoon, her husband gave her a list of 10 things that he wanted her to change. Oh, my gosh. Now, think of the difference between the one who affirms, who recognizes Mm -hmm. the good, Mm -hmm. affirms it, praises the other person. Yeah. And the one who gives a list of here are things I want yeah. you to change. Yeah. So just the appreciation and the valuing of the other person that you see mm-hmm. in this poetry, mm. it, it's remarkable. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> That's really good. Um, so I know a lot of people listening, again, they probably haven't read Song of Songs. Um but I know if they've heard of it, they're probably wondering, okay, what does this specifically teach us about sex? Um, so what do you think Song of Songs teaches us about sex? Well, I would say that the first thing it teaches, it is a part of the creation that God declared to be very good. Hmm. So what you see in, in those passages, well, just take the, the one place where it is very clear that a sexual encounter has taken place. Mm-hmm. That There are a couple of things. The first one it's described in in poetry that is just kind of over the top in terms of its beauty, it, its delicacy. And mm-hmm. so it's described as a garden. It's a yeah. beautiful garden where everywhere you look, there are beautiful things, there's mm-hmm. flowing water, there are luxurious, luscious fruit. There are Mm -hmm. fragrances, there are spices, (laughs) and just all kinds of things. And he describes her as she is a garden lot. Hmm. And so instead of, you know, this animal instinct that kicks in and he just Mm -hmm. overpowers her physically, Mm -hmm. there's a gentleness. Hmm. And so he waits for her permission and Hmm. she says let the let the four winds blow on my garden Hmm. and you are welcome to enjoy it wow and so there's a mutuality even Mm -hmm. when it comes to that it doesn't tell us what their sex look like yeah and and there are books out there you can buy I can think of half a dozen commentaries off the top of my head <laughs> that are basically, they claim that the book is a sex manual. Hmm. It, it's a how-to yeah. <clears throat> manual. And that seems to me to, to, that tells us more about the commentators than it does about the book, it seems to me. Hmm. But it, <clears throat> it does tell you, it describes for <clears throat> us an environment where the, the sex takes care of itself hmm. and it can be enjoyed as the delightful experience 
that God designed it to be. Yeah. It seems to me that understood in those ways and and in a in a relationship where there is trust where there is value where there is respect you don't need a manual you don't need an instruction mm. book mm. but it also creates an an environment where it can really be delighted in and enjoyed it also contributes to the intimacy that seems to me is at the heart of what a one flesh relationship is all about. Yeah. Yeah. It's two people who fit together across the totality of their experience. Hmm. And so in every way, they, they help one another, they complement one another, and they enjoy one another. Yeah. Uh, the couple in the song, they go for walks together. They go out into the field and enjoy the beautiful flowers. They go into the woods together and enjoy the delightful things that are there. Yeah. And so uh, to try to limit the one flesh relationship to the physical mm-hmm. seems to me to be a, a, a tragedy. Yeah, it, it truly is. So it's almost like if you view the Song of Songs as just this physical, sexual manual, you're almost reducing the goodness therein. Instead of it, it's not giving you a how-to in terms of like physical mm-hmm. positions or what exactly to do within yeah, sex. That's right. But it's showing you how to create uh, almost an atmosphere, uh, an ex- like an environment, uh, a presence <laughs> where sex can flow freely within that. So it's trying to create yeah. almost like the respect the trust, the yes. communication, the mutuality, which then sex will naturally work itself out out of yep. that rather than trying to show you how the sex worked itself out. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and I also think one of the things that can be said for waiting until marriage mm-hmm. to have sex is that that, that enables that to become an important part of the intimacy that this belongs to these two people uniquely Hmm. it may look very different than what it looks like to another couple or another couple or another couple but it's theirs and and they have created it they enjoy it in a way that may be quite unique to them yeah. But that's the way it's supposed to work. Now, obviously, uh, procreation is an important part of it as well. Mm-hmm. But th- 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 there's another thing that I think is probably a part of the relationship with no beginning and no end. Mm-hmm. I-, I suspect it is telling us, though obliquely, Mm-hmm. It's telling us that if we begin to behave in a marriage the way we see these people behaving, the respect, mm-hmm. the valuing, mm-hmm. the the sacrificial mm-hmm. nature of, of what we do, it will take a relationship irrespective of how it started irrespective of the state of repair or disrepair mm-hmm. that it may be yeah. when, when we plug into it here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it will begin to move that relationship to a place 
where it functions more and more like the the one flesh relationship that God designed mm-hmm. for people. Yeah, this sounds a lot like First Corinthians seven when Paul is talking about the marital relationship there and how neither partner considers their body their own but are giving yeah. it up for the other. He's not telling you exactly how to have sex, but That's he's right. showing you how to create again the the environment, the atmosphere, the presence where that sex can flow from that. Yeah. It's it sounds very similar to that. And and probably the even better maybe than some of the Song of Songs passages are the the passages that you get in Proverbs, I think it's four and five. Mm-hmm. The, the the those are contexts that are warning against immorality. Mm-hmm. But one of the antidotes to immorality is to delight in the wife of your youth. Hmm. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I mean, clearly, it, it's to delight in one another mm-hmm. and to delight in the, the physical nature of, yeah. of your relationship. Yeah. Now, if the other part is in disrepair, then that's not going to happen. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that's why beginning to to deal with some of the attitudes and behaviors that are really disruptive and bring dysfunction to a relationship, yeah. it's why those things are as important as they are. Yeah. Another, what I think is an interesting thing, I, I remember, well, all of us take what we read in Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. And and we process it through the filter of our own worldview, mm-hmm. our own experience. Mm-hmm. And so what we bring into a marriage, sometimes that, that can be really toxic mm-hmm. or it can be really mm-hmm. wonderfully preparatory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for a, a relationship that's going to mm-hmm. blossom. Mm-hmm. I was talking about some of these things in a, a class and a, a young woman came up to me after class and she said, you know, I really like what you're saying about marriage. But she said, quite honestly, I don't think I could ever trust a man hmm. the way you would have to for that kind of relationship to exist. Yeah. yeah. She went on and told me a little of her story. She yeah. said, all the men in my life that I have really valued, mm. they've all disappointed me. Yeah. And she said, I, so, so, so she, she will have to, to be in an environment that allows her to develop trust. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not just a matter of, boy, I really care a lot about this guy, so I'm sure it'll all work out. Yeah. But but we, we all bring those kinds of things in, and that's a part of what you do in marriage. You, yeah. You help, you work together. Yeah. And you develop it, yeah. And you develop the, mm-hmm. the trust and the kind of relationship. Yeah. Where where not only it's easier to practice these sorts of things, mm-hmm. but it is also, you probably make more progress along that continuum of barely functional to mm-hmm. 
mature, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. marital marital bliss or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a fascinating book and and really a delightful book. Yeah, but lots of difficulties in it as well. <laughs> yeah. So you said that this isn't just for the sexual, romantic, physical relationship. This can also transcend into some of our friendships. So I know I have, oh, yeah. a, I have a lot of listeners who are like, okay, that marriage stuff is awesome, uh, and that sounds great, uh, but either that's not the stage of life I'm in or I don't know when I may ever enter into that. So how sure. can this book transcend some of these principles into friendship? Okay. Um, something you might want to try. Praise your friend. Mm-hmm. Take take a week or a month or whatever, and and pay particular attention to your words. Hmm. Do your words are they like thrusts of a sword that hurt and wound, or are they like healing words hmm. that bring healing and and uh, lubricate and and yeah. so forth? Yeah. Or think about respect. Your friend, no matter what his or her idiosyncrasies may be, (laughs) your friend is a person made in God's image. Hmm. The one thing that everybody agrees on about the image of God is that it gives people worth and dignity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're told in Genesis 9, you're not to kill another person because mm-hmm. they are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Life has value. So mm-hmm. it goes without saying, don't murder your friend. <laughs> but, but let's go to the New Testament. Yeah. James says there is something fundamentally wrong about using your tongue on the one hand to bless God and then turning around and using it to demean another person, to curse mm. another human being, mm. to, to declare them of worthless. Yeah. So practice using words in ways that build, in mm. ways that repair, in ways that heal, mm. instead of words that break the spirit. I, I had a student uh, in a Talbot class. I gave him a paperback, and he he looked at it as a very well done paper, uh, and I, he he kind of shook his head. He said, "I see these really positive comments," and he said, "It's hard for me to believe that they're true." Hmm. He said, "I still remember when I was a young boy, my father helping me with my math homework, and he would say to me over and over and over, boy, are you thick.'" Hmm. And he said that message just worked its way into the center of my being. Mm. And and even today, he was a Talbot student. He had a Biola degree. He said, I look at my degree on the wall, and I think, I can't believe I got this diploma. Wow. So the way you speak to your friend, mm-hmm. whether you encourage them, whether you they are words that that give life instead mm-hmm. of crushing the spirit. Mm. That, that's a place to begin. Yeah, uh, Showing kindness to a friend. 
So there, there are all kinds of things like that that you can do that you see reflected in Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. And so you just translate them into another context. Yeah. And I, I think that's the way that works. Yeah. So we have we have praise, praise the other. We have respect the other. We have value the other. We have develop and build trust with the other and sacrifice for the other. But within, within all of Song of Songs, what would be kind of your main takeaway, your main hope for people after they read this book? What would they walk away with? Well, certainly if you're married, it seems to me that the thing you, you walk away with is, wow, I really want a relationship like that. Hmm. And if I'm right about Okay, you start doing those things that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. It it will in fact help you to to move toward that. I, I had an experience many years ago. Our kids were still quite small, and we went on a trip, and we went up to I think Washington, and summertime, but it was cold up there. My kids wanted to go swimming, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, it was too cold to swim, uh, but they were insisted. So I went out by the pool and sat there, and they were jumping off the diving board. I think my younger son was maybe five years old. He'd been to mm-hmm. swimming lessons and mm-hmm. could doggy paddle at least. <laughs> and so I finally said, okay, guys, five more times, then we're going in. Mm-hmm. So four times they jumped off. My youngest one jumped off, and he started paddling, and then down he went. Hmm. So he popped up, a few more strokes. I thought, oh, no, it's freezing, (laughs) absolutely freezing. So I I didn't have any choice. I jumped in the water and pulled him out. Mm -hmm. And and as I thought about that, he never even said thank you. Hmm. And I thought, you know, I thought they should have called the newspaper, you know, <laughs> man braves icy waters to save, save, save drowning child. <laughs> but but what I realized as I thought about that, and I, uh, I, I didn't really expect him to say thank you, but, uh-huh. but what registered with me, my wife is a, a wonderful wife and a, a wonderful mother. But I also recognize that if my wife was to be commended for her mothering, it would probably have to come from me rather than from my kids. Mm-hmm. Kids just don't see that as part of their job description. Yep. Yep. So I decided what I was going to do, I was going to keep my eyes open. And every time I saw her do something that was commendable, that mm-hmm. was good, Mm-hmm. I would commend her for it. Yeah. That, that had two interesting effects. I, I did it for several months, and then, you know, I forget all about it. <laughs> but yeah. but it, it did a couple of things. One is it seemed like she became even more energetic and determined to do those kinds of things mm-hmm. and to do more of them and to do them better. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that happened 
because I began to see those things. More and more of them began to register and it developed in me a much deeper appreciation for oh. what a marvelous spouse yeah. Yeah. and mom she is. Yeah. So I, I, I think when you start practicing these things, you, you'll see some relational benefits that will begin to, yeah. to happen all around you. Yeah. This has been so good, Dr. Curtis. Are there any last words or last things you want to share? I know you got a you got a plethora of knowledge on this, and it's been so good. Well, I, I don't know. One one thing, <laughs> I, I probably should make a, a comment about poetry. Most people today don't even know what poetry is. Mm-hmm. The closest they come to it is maybe something written on a bathroom stall or <laughs> on a highway yeah. underpass or That's maybe not really a poetry. Hallmark card. Yeah. Poetry, love poetry. Read Elizabeth Barrett Browning's Silence to the Portuguese, for example. And, and <clears throat> they're... they're Sonnets are 14-line poems, so they're not long. Mm-hmm. But but begin to develop an appreciation for poetry mm. and begin to allow those images and metaphors. Now, some of them are tough in Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. When, when the, the man describes his wife, your hair is like a flock of goats descending <laughs> from Mount Gilead. <laughs> Uh, everybody I know who's ever tried that with a wife or a girlfriend, it hasn't worked so well in yeah. our culture. Probably backfired on them. Yeah. But 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 let those metaphors, the ones that we can understand at yeah. least, yeah. let let them kind of soak in and, and allow poetry to do what it does. Mm-hmm. Th- that helps immensely. If, if you have to analyze a poem, it's like, having to explain a joke, mm-hmm. it loses its effect. Mm-hmm. So work a little bit at it. It'll, it'll help you certainly with Song of Songs and mm-hmm. Psalms, but uh, it, 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 will bring, it, it will bring some positive things into your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and also understand relationships are really a wonderful gift from God. Mm. And marriage, it, it's not always, but if people behave and function wisely and in the ways that you see operating in Song of Songs, mm-hmm. I'm convinced it will move you in the direction of a relationship that you can really appreciate and enjoy. Yeah. That's awesome. This has been so cool. I feel like I've learned so much (laughs) just sitting here, even in our conversation before we recorded. Um, So I guess for you listening, go read this book. Um, And if you still don't understand it, you can get Dr. Curtis's commentary (laughs) on it. And that can explain more. You can just read a commentary on it. So thank you again, Dr. Curtis. I'm glad to have you on. We hope that the Song of Songs has provided for you some principles on how to live out your marriage well, your sexual relationship well, and even just relationships with friends. We hope that Dr. Curtis has given you a framework for how to do love and relationships going forward. 
As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors. It may have even stirred up old wounds. With all of these things, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't hold these things just to yourself. Bring people into your life and your sexuality. And again, if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact, this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast, which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality, who are struggling with their sexual lives, who are struggling with even the idea of what it means to be sexual. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.